awesome. Thank you. You can take your seats. Louise, I didn't know where you were going with that. I thought I was going to have like a new walk-on song. I was ready. I was vibing it. It was good. Awesome. All right. Well, let me have a look at you. Amazing. So, so honored to be with you this evening to talk to you. And Pastor Mark asked me to bring this message because it's Expo Sunday for us as a church. And so it's going to help us around some thoughts around that. But as we begin, I'm going to read you some numbers and I want you to have a little think. These are crucial numbers for our church. 24, 35, 55, and 1. Oh, I know. That was last week's message, two weeks ago. Um, have a think, what is that? It's not my pin code, so don't be trying to hack my Instagram and different things like that. What are those numbers about? Have you got a little theory in your head? At the end of our preach, hopefully we will find out what they are. Now, I know it feels like January had like 89 days in it, and it just went on for forever and ever, but we are in February already, and Easter's going to be just around the corner, but we are at the start of the year, and hopefully you're kind of achieving or going some way to achieving some of the goals that you have for your life in 2024. Hopefully you've thought about what it is that you want to achieve in 2024. Maybe there's some material goals in there. Maybe you've got like a savings goal or you've got a bench press goal. That's not my kind of goal, but maybe maybe that is the number that you are going for this year. Maybe you are looking to change careers or um, further your career this year. Maybe there's some goals that you are going towards this year. Those goals are great and good, but they're temporary. Next year will reset and those goals if you've achieved them, they'll just reset and there'll be a different goal that you have to have. But I'm hoping that in some of your thinking about what it is that you want to do this year, I'm hoping there's some spiritual goals in there. I'm hoping there's some things that are going to have eternal worth and eternal value. I'm hoping that you want to be closer to Jesus at the end of this year than you are right now. I'm hoping that you want to be more like him. I'm hoping that you want to be further on in your calling. I'm hoping that you want to develop your character, that you want to be more patient, more kind, more self-controlled in December than you are right now. I'm hoping that you want to trust Jesus more, that you want to have seen his faithfulness a bit more this year, that you want to be more obedient to Jesus. We don't want to be more naughty in December than we are right now. We want to be, naughty is a big word in our house at the minute. We're learning what naughty is with our nearly two-year-old, not, not for Neil, it's for, it's for liberty. No, no. So my almost two-year-old, we are learning what boundaries are, and she's got a little twinkle in her eye. We, we, we talk about it a lot. So hopefully, in our house at least, by the end of the year, we're going to be more obedient than we are right now. What if I told you, though, that there was a silver bullet that you could shoot this year? What if I told you that there was something that you could do, one thing that you could do that would actually achieve all of that? One thing that you could do that would bring you closer to Jesus, make you more like him, further your calling, develop your character, make you trust Jesus more, make you more obedient to him. One single thing that you could do that would be that silver bullet that you could shoot it and it would just do that. Would you be interested in that? You would be, wouldn't it? You want that thing, that just one, one thing that you can do. That thing is serving. 
It is. Now, that may feel like I just offered you some delicious chocolate cake. Like this one thing that you want and it's really good and it's going to achieve all of these amazing things. And yes, 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 I want that. And then I just went, here's some Brussels sprouts instead. And you're like, oh, serving. All right. Yeah, yeah. Serving. Yeah. We know what that is. Oh, a message about serving. Okay. But I want to talk to you about Brussels sprouts tonight. I want to let you know Brussels sprouts, low calorie. This is a wonder veg. You are, you are all sleeping on Brussels sprouts. It's a wonder veg. Low calorie, high fiber. It's got loads of vitamins and minerals in it. Do you know a little serving of Brussels sprouts, 90% of your daily vitamin K. Did you know you needed vitamin K? You do. If you, it helps your blood clot and things. So it's really important. It helps your bone health, helps your vitamin C iron absorption, sorts out tissue repair. So if you wanted to be bench pressing more this year, you need Brussels sprouts in your life to help your muscles. Immune health, we need all that. High antioxidants, it is literally a wonder veg. You're thinking, that may all be well and good, Julie. I hate Brussels sprouts. And that's probably because you've had them and they've been boiled to within an inch of their life in over-salted water. And, and when you've eaten it, like there's that little flappy bit that kind of flaps up in your mouth and it's like gross. And then if you crunch it, it feels like maybe an eyeball squishing in your mouth because it's like, like overcooked and just like soggy and like tasteless and just no good. And if that is your experience with Brussels sprouts, I commiserate with you. Like you shouldn't eat them like that. But... What if I told you that actually Brussels sprouts should be cooked like this? Brussels sprouts should be five minutes in boiling salted water, like really quickly boiled, and then you whip them out, and then you put them in a little ice bath because they're really important, and so then it stops the cooking, but it keeps them nice and green. And then they're, all, they're cooked, but they're firm, and they're like, great. And then you get a pan, and you put salted butter in the pan. You get your pan really, really hot, and then you strain your little bristles out of the ice bath, and you put them in your really hot pan, and it goes like that because it's now starting to get caramelization. Sounds good and great. And now we've not finished there because they're now getting like nice little crispy bits on the things that were flappy and soggy before. Now they're going crunchy and golden and it's good. But we've not stopped there. We're now going to pour some maple syrup into the pan and it's, yes, I know, and it's getting all nice and sticky and oozy and goozy and great. But we've not finished there because we need to actually put the bacon in the pan. Yes, we do. We need little bacony croutons so that when you get your Brussels sprout, you've got like this crunchy, beautiful, sweet, salty, bacony, yum, vitamin K, little balm of gorgeousness in your mouth. That is how you should eat Brussels sprouts. So I'm really sorry if you've had, thank you. It is good. You should try that for Christmas, 100%. So if you've been coming at serving in a boiled Brussels sprout kind of way, if when I said serving, you were like, okay, and you weren't like, oh, okay, then you've, you've been having boiled Brussels sprouts. You've not been having beautiful maple bacon, salted, crispy, beautiful, pan-fried Brussels sprouts. And I want to talk to you about that kind of serving this evening. We're going to get to our Bible, and I want us to read together 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 5. There's three big ideas that we're going to come to tonight. So if we can put that up on the screen, please, Joel. Nope, not that one. 1 Peter 2 is the one that's a little bit bigger. 
Hold on. Bear with me. I don't love technology. There. Beautiful. Thanks, Joel. Joel's sweating right now. You did good, Joel. It's awesome. You did good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that this little bit contains our three big thoughts for this evening. That bacon, maple, Brussels sprout serving is you being part of a spiritual house, being part of a holy priesthood, and having spiritual sacrifice, and that being the doorway through to the kind of serving that Jesus wants you to do this year. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and that you want to speak to us tonight. And Lord, we just set aside our previous thoughts and we just submit ourselves to your word and what it is that it says. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do. I don't come with clever words or persuasion, but just as we look at the word of God, Holy Spirit, move upon people's hearts as you will. We commit to have open ears, open hearts, open minds, and we submit our life to your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the context of this piece of scripture that we're going to dive into tonight is Peter. So the, the clue is in the title for the book, One Peter. So it is the Apostle Peter who writes this book, and we think most likely that he's writing it from Rome. So he spends his last few years on the planet with the churches in Rome, and he's writing not to the Roman church, but he's writing to churches that's in um, Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey now. And he's encouraging them that you need to maintain your faith. He's saying, don't give up. Don't kind of get swamped by things that are going on around you. Maintain your faith in the face of what they were facing, which is social scorn, slander, shaming, stigma, not persecution. It hadn't got that far yet. But to be a Christian in the environment that they were in was not an easy thing. If they were um, out and openly a Christian, their businesses would have suffered. Their families would have suffered. They would have been scorned. They actually would have been seen as people who are bringing disrepute and that if anything bad was happening in the city, the first finger to point would be at the Christians because they had rejected the gods of that place and that town. And so they were the scapegoats for everything. There are places in the world like Bali where that is still the truth become a Christian in Bali, that is true. If you're openly a Christian, you can lose your job, you can be evicted from your house, your family can ostracize you. There's lots of different places in the world where this is a current reality. And that's the context to which Peter is writing to. And what Peter does is, if you want to kind of get... Um, like, you know, sometimes you read the Old Testament and you're like, what is going on there? 1 Peter is a really good book to read to help understand what the Old Testament is saying. Because Peter just shoves so much Old Testament references into his book. And so there's lots of Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah in the book of 1 Peter. And it helps us to know how to apply those scriptures to what we're going through right now. And that's what the, his audience, that's the people who are listening to his letter, because remember, they're not reading it like we are. They would have heard it as a letter being read out to the church. So it's, it's actually quite fun to listen to it as an audio book, because that's how the first listeners would have heard it. They would have heard it as an audio book, as a, listen, as a read letter. 
So, he's applying Old Testament scripture to a Christian audience who are now facing hardship because they've said yes to Jesus. And so we're going to start and we're going to read 1 Peter 1 verses 17. And we're going to read the whole chunk before we get to the little bit that we just read. Because you need to understand what Peter's saying within the whole. So here we go. Since you call on a father, that's obviously God, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as far as here in reverent fear. Because he's saying um, things are really bad, but it's going to be okay. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So he's saying the way that you used to live before, it's empty. It doesn't, you can't build with it. There's nothing eternal in that. But that's just what's been given to you by how your mum and dad, you know, they all went to temple. They all worship Artemis. They all do this, that, and the other. And that's what's been given to you. But you don't have to do that now. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. That's like the gospel shoved into one sentence. Very helpful. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so lots of... um, appalling practices that they would have been doing as just part of the pagan rituals that were going on. But they're saying, don't do that now. So that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For, and this is where he starts shoving Old Testament references in, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So he's saying, what looks really impressive, Rome, what looks eternal, this massive juggernaut of an empire that just takes over vast sways of the world and they go to a place and the kings are just like we give up what looks completely insurmountable is actually it's just grass it's just flowers it's going to fade away it's not it's going to go next slide Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Remember, ages ago we talked about this. It's this word logicon, logical, divinely reasonable service according to God's law. We'll come back to that. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Because they're new Christians. So he's saying you need to be craving. You need to be going after the things of God. And if you do that, you're going to start to grow up into the fullness of Christ. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Next bit, Job. So as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter's trying to get across your new Christians You're in this system that just looks like it's never going down. 
But that's just, it's perishable. It's all going to go. You've chosen the eternal thing. You've chosen the better thing. You've chosen the thing that's going to give you eternal reward. And he's saying, hold fast to the eternal stuff. Don't just go over the bench press gains this year. Don't just go over the higher house deposit that we're saving. Don't just go after the promotion. Don't just go after the temporary stuff. But go after the eternal stuff. Go after the thing that's going to last and go with you into eternity. Go for that sort of things. Because even though the world system looks like it's eternal, it's not. It's temporary. And in a hundred years, all of us and all of our stuff and everything that we've done will be gone and forgotten. But what you do with the eternal stuff of life, that goes with you into eternity. And that's what we should be going after. So let's go into this first thought that Peter brings, the spiritual house. Remember ages ago, this really creaky here. Here's the... I'll just get over that. So remember ages ago, we talked about this weird way of thinking, if you can remember that, way, way back. And uh, there's this guy who um, has this little an acronym about weird, so W, Western, Educated, Industrialized, Rich, Democratic. I did pretty good there. My brain was going for it. So we read... 1 Peter, and it talks about, you know, you are a living stone and you're being built together. And we can read that as, yes, I am a living stone. And we read it as an individual. We read it as it, we can't help but hear it through our oneness, if that makes sense. But the people who are listening to this hear this corporately. They hear this as a, we're all together. It has to be a together thing. This is not just me on my own, but this, this affects me and the three people sat next to me on either side and behind and forward. Like there's a responsibility that comes as the whole. And Peter uses this corporate language all the way through his book. And he talks about stones being built into a house. You need many stones to make a house. One stone does not make a house. If we put a stone, we were like, what a cute house. No, <laughs> maybe for a fairy, but no. It needs the whole. On your own, you are on your own. You need other people around you. It's the corporate, it's together, it's the family, it's the house, it's the temple, it's the home. And in that, you find your fit and you become greater than the sum of your parts which is a beautiful thing, that you can be on your own and you're just great, a nice little stone, here we are. But then when we fit you into the family, when we find your fit in the house, when we find your fit in the family, when we find your fit in the spiritual house, then you're not just on your own. It's the people above, below, inside, behind, front. You become greater than just that one. And Peter uses this language of living stones. Now, he could have easily said living bricks because bricks were around. The technology was around then, but he doesn't. He uses stones, and I love that because it's this imagery of one of a kind. You don't get two stones the same. They're all weird. They're all different. They're all unique and knobbly and like, you know, all gritty and all the different little things in the stone. It has a unique property to it. Different stones are used for different building applications. There's different methods that are applied to different stones depending on the properties of the stone. They're designed for different uses, whereas bricks are not. Bricks are standardized. They're uniform. 
that like we don't get one brick and be like, this is the most gorgeous, beautiful, unique brick I've ever seen. Because we could pick up the next one and go, and so is this, and so is this. And because they're, it, they're standardized, it's really boring and the same. But that's not the language Peter uses. He uses stones because we're not the same. We're different. We're unique. And if you want to build quickly, bricks is a great way to go because it's standardized. It's formatted. We can build really quickly with bricks. And as I was preparing this message and going over it and, and, and asking God to bring something fresh from this tonight, here's what I really felt for somebody in the room is that you've had a bad experience being turned from a stone and you felt like you were um, knocked all your edges off and you were made to be a brick. That in serving, maybe here, maybe somewhere else, that you felt all the unique stuff about you. And it was like, well, we can't have that. Chip that off. We don't like this part. Chip that off. Yeah, that's, we, can't, we don't do that here. Chip that off. And it felt like all the bits that make you you were just devalued. But Jesus sees you as a stone, knobbly and unique, all weird and wonderful. And he wants to use you as you are. Now, of course, there's discipleship and honing and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a devaluing of who you are as a person. And that's not what happens in this house. In this house, we love you and we want to position you for the weird brick, the weird stone that you are. You're not a brick. You're not standardized. You're not the same as everybody else. You are different and unique. And there is a place for you in this house. And there are no bad stones, just the improper place for them. So we can, we can pick a stone and we can put it in a place and we'd be like, well, sort of, but not really. But it's not the stone's fault. It's just that it's not in the right place yet. And so then the builders don't go, well, this is a rubbish stone. Why can't this stone just be better than it is? It's not that. It's just that it's just not the right place for it. And perhaps that's been your experience, that you've just not found your fit yet. We've just not found the place where it's like, ah, oh, here it is. Here's where I sit. Here's maple bacon, Brussels sprouts kind of serving for me. Here's that spot. We've just maybe not found that yet. Keep going. You're one place further to finding it. I love this imagery of dry stones because it's really familiar to me because we, we see this lots in the north of England where I grew up. So it's a, it's a particular thing kind of um, from Manchester upwards. You don't see dry stones in the south of England. You only see them kind of in the north up. So we're going to put up a little picture. This is literally 10 minutes from my mum and dad's house. So walking along, and this wall would be taller than the screen. So it's really tall. And there's no foundation. There's no concrete at the bottom. There's no mortar holding everything together. It's, it's a dry stone wall. It's built by the skill of a master bricklayer and a master stonemason that is able to fit the unique stones together so that it holds up. This wall is over 400 years old. I know, right? And that's really not old in the UK. That's like recent history for us. So that's like, it's just normal. It's like 10 minutes. It's not, it's, it's, there's no beauty spot. There's no, no one's, I'm the only person taking a picture of this because I'm like, this will be useful for the preach at some point. Like no, no one's like, wow, this is amazing. This is the same thing. It's like, it's on a really slopey hill 
And it's 400 years old. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's the imagery Peter uses. Because he's, Peter, his whole life, has seen the temple being extended. And they use this technique. The temple, when it was built and extended by Herod, because he wanted this amazing um, monument to himself, basically, and he chose the temple to then kind of extend, used this technique of dry stone walling. And so when you go to the Western Wall, there's no mortar in the walls. They've, they, they've built it in such a way that it supports its own weight. It's like an engineering feat. It's an amazing thing. And Peter uses this imagery. I want to talk to you very briefly about the different stones that you will find in this sort of wall and the reason why they're there. So in this stone, in these stone walls, you have lots of different kinds of stones. You've got the capstone, which is the bit that's on top, protects it from frost, because if the water gets in, then it expands, and then the, like, it would get all the way through, and then the whole thing would fall over. So the capstones protect it. You have these regular stones, just... Ordinary, bog standard, nothing special about them. But they are doing an integral job because you need lots and lots of ordinary stones to make the whole thing work. You've got a hearting stone, which I know it looks like you can't even see it. It's, it's here. Teeny, teeny, tiny little stone. If I didn't point it out to you, you wouldn't even think it's there. If you don't have hearting stones, literally the whole thing falls down. Tiny, small you would think, what is the point of them being in the wall at all? And yet, if we don't have them, the whole thing falls down. Tie stones. These stones go across joints and divides. So this stone actually kind of extends this way. And it ties. if you don't have your tie stones in, you get to a point, and then it needs strength and integrity. It's a weight-bearing stone. And there's lots and lots of tie stones in our church. We are very blessed as a church with many Thai stone Christians that are weight bearers, that are able to have weight placed upon them, and they bring strength to those around them. We are unusually blessed as a church for that. And then there's the cornerstone at the bottom. Now, cornerstone, that's sat there, and you build from that. We can't build anything without the cornerstone. We don't get to be the cornerstone. Jesus bagsied that. He said, I am the cornerstone. You don't want to be the cornerstone because all the weight's on that stone as well. So that's not a job that you want. Jesus is also the capstone. He's the first and the last. He's sorting everything out all together. But all of us have a place to play within the house. Within the spiritual house, there is a place for you in your uniqueness, in your what you feel is tiny and insignificant hearting stone service. No, no. If you're not here, the whole thing is, is more unstable. We need your tiny, insignificant, nobody is seeing what I do part because it brings strength to the whole. We need more tie stones. We need more people to say, yes, I can run a life group. Yes, I can take some weight. Yes, I can be a youth leader. Yes, I will step up. Yes, it's going to cost me, but I'm going to start to bear some weight. I'm going to start to bring some strength to the first and the, and the ones beside me. I'm going to allow something to be put weight on me, then there can be building on top of me. We need more tie stones. And we need lots and lots and lots of normal stones. People who just say, yep, I can help. Yes, I can do that. Every stone builds the wall as it is. It brings its unique strength and gifting and character to the whole. But it cannot be its best expression on its own. 
if we get a little hearting stone and put it on the floor, we'll go, what a cute stone. But it can't bring what it is apart from the hole. If we put a tie stone on the floor, that's a, that's a very impressive stone. But it can't actually do its job until it's been placed on top of something and other stones are placed on top of it. That's where it comes into its own. And a little note here. If your shape has changed, if you've been on the bench, there is still a place for you. It's okay that you're not who you were before that you've been through some tumbles, that things are a bit different than they were before and you've had some edges knocked off and your shape as a stone has changed, then that's okay. But the place where we might put you has, will change and is different and that's okay. We all change, but there's still a place for you as you are now. So let me encourage you, dip your toe in. Expect to try a few different things because it will feel really unfamiliar. But you can be in the wall, you can build a spiritual house even if your shape has changed. Second thing Peter says is that we're a holy priesthood, chosen and set apart for service. This is like a mind-blowing thing to the people who are hearing this because the priesthood was an exclusive, not an opt-in club. You had to be chosen, you had to be part of the Levites. You couldn't be like, sounds like, nice job, I will be a Levite. No, you had to be part of a particular family to do that. It wasn't an opt-in. And it was set up in the desert when they, were, when they were wandering in the desert and they offered sacrifices acceptable to God. They cared for the house of God and they served the people. It's a calling. But at the time, it was a calling unavailable to most. So when Peter comes and says, you're a holy priesthood, they, their jaws would have dropped. They would have been like, are you talking to somebody else? Like... Surely not us. No, we're not Levites. We can't be a holy priesthood. But Peter says, no, we're all part of the holy priesthood now because of what Jesus has done. He now says, it's now you. You are the holy priesthood. You can now offer sacrificial praise. You can now, you, you have the status because of Jesus. You have the part in the family because of him. You've been set apart. They were given the priesthood special garments. They were given like a ticket out from fighting. Levites weren't allowed to fight. So it was a pretty, uh, on the surface, it looked like a really crushy job because you were there ministering in the house of the Lord and you got this like special outfits that were made especially for you from the people. And it was pretty amazing. And you would think, wow, the priesthood, amazing. But I've been doing this shred where you read the whole Bible in like January and it took me six weeks instead of four, but we got there in the end. And we're like powering through Leviticus and this, <laughs> this popped out to me. And I was like, this, I've never heard this before, even though I've obviously heard this before, but it popped out. Now, if you're really into pimple popping videos on TikTok, this is for you. This is what the priest did. And the priest... When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall look. That would have been me immediately out. I would have been like, no, I'm done. Cannot be a priest. And if there is a swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white and if there's raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body and the priest shall pronounce him unclean and he shall not shut him up. He is unclean. Further down. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. But if the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come back to the priest. And the priest shall examine him. And if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person is clean. 
If there is in the skin of one's body a boil and it heals, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish white spot, then it shall be shown to the priest. Again, I am out. And the priest shall look, and if it appears deeper than the skin and its hair has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a case of leprous disease that's broken out. And on and on and on it goes for like six chapters about leprous boils and white hair and house inspections that you have to do with mold in the walls and washing things and, and all the different things that the priest had to do. So yes, you got a lovely fresh new outfit. Yes, you were able to sacrifice in the house of the Lord. But you also had to be looking at everybody's boils and their bald heads and their manky houses and like all the... like awful, awful things that you had to do. You were a priest. That's part of the job. Some parts aren't fun. Some parts require different skills. So much of serving is not the nice outfit and the sacrifices to the Lord and what would look like a status thing. So much of serving is the ordinary, is the humdrum. Is unglamorous, is painting foyers, is cleaning toilets, is showing up early, is leaving late, is getting texts and be like, yep, okay, I can do that. It's the non-glamorous side of it, but that's part of the priesthood. That's a normal, natural part of being in the priesthood, and we are honored to have Jesus invite us into the priesthood and say, you're now part of the royal priesthood. Now, thank goodness that that is now not part of being a, like a pastor. That it's not like, if you've got a boil, come and see Pastor Nina. And she will examine it. And if your house is looking gross, like, oh, no. Oh, if that was on the application form, I would have been like, oh, Jesus, I love you in another way. I can't do that. It's not okay. But those, those, boring things, those menial things, those things that are like, oh, they're not the glamorous bits. Those, it's all part of the priesthood. It's all part of the holy priesthood. I was telling Jack on Friday when we were having a chat that my youth pastor was an absolute genius. Um, and he made vacuuming the hall after youth like the most coveted job that you could have. And so it was like, if you got asked by Pastor Paul to vacuum, oh my goodness, you had made it. And one day he came over to me and he was like, Julie. And I was like, yes. He's like, here is the vacuum. And it's like all church vacuums. It was like duct taped within an inch of its life. Like the cord was just horrific, you know, to like look at it a certain way and really pray in tongues over it before you'd start because, you know, who knows if it would die halfway through. But I was like, I get to vacuum. Oh my goodness, it's happening. If I'd had a phone that could text at the time, I would have texted all my friends and been like, because texting phones weren't invented then. I was like, oh my gosh, like I've been asked to vacuum my Pastor Paul. This is the best day ever. So I'm like vacuuming, being like, like people seeing, like I've been asked to vacuum, like, oh my goodness. So I don't know how Pastor Paul did that, but it was an absolute genius move. What was I doing? I'm part of the Holy Priesthood. Ordinary boring, vacuuming, but I was doing something of eternal worth. You'd be like, well, what's like hooving up like hot dog crumbs from a tiny little town in Bolton in the UK? How is that doing eternal worth? Well, what it's doing is it's forming character in me. It's making me more like Jesus. It's making me be 
have some submission and some obedience and some fortitude in me that actually when I didn't want to do it, when it had lost its shine and then I was still ass, then I was able to put some character in place. I'm building something of eternal worth as I'm part of the holy priesthood. Last thing is this, spiritual sacrifice. Remember earlier we talked about craving the spiritual milk of the word, that that's your acceptable logical service that God says. God says, this is what I like. This is how I receive love. That we are priests in his house, that we serve him with gladness, that we lift up holy hands, that we worship him, that we serve his people. And that is how he receives love. And if we love someone, we love them well by loving them how they say they like to be loved. And this is the vitamin part, really, of the Brussels sprout experience, is that it's not always glamorous serving. You know that if you serve. But it is always forming Christ in you. It is always a spiritual sacrifice when you serve. Those who were here late last night for Night to Shine, and you could have really been in bed like, well, for me, I would have loved to have been in bed at 9 o'clock because that's my like new bedtime. But So I was here at like whatever I was, 10 o'clock. Now, for me, at the minute, in my season of life, 10 o'clock is a really big deal because I'm like asleep by 10 o'clock. So what am I doing? Spiritual sacrifice. I'm doing something that's costing me something. But I'm becoming more like Jesus in doing that. I'm serving people in our community who need to know how special and unique they are. That's making me more like Jesus as I die to myself and I serve those he loves. It's developing character. It's furthering your calling. It's pulling you into greater obedience as you, as you give your spiritual sacrifice. Often we want things really quick. We want things instant. We are like a microwave generation. But some things only come through sacrifice. Some things only come through time spent. Some things only come from hard graft, from submission, from biting your tongue, from seeing something done and thinking, I could totally do that better. And why is my leader making that decision? Well, trust me a thousand times. When you get into a leadership position, then you'd be like, oh my goodness, I've got no, like, how? (laughs) You'd make a hundred different decisions until you're in a leadership position. And then it's just a whole different ball game. It's just a whole different ball game on the other side. Saying yes, early starts, late finishes, serving and feeling completely out of your depth. When your leader comes and says to you, I want you to do this, and you go, maybe internally, externally, I absolutely can't do that. But your leader's seen something in you, and it's calling something out of you. And in that moment, you've got a choice. Am I going to give my spiritual sacrifice, or am I going to withhold it? Am I going to be more like Jesus, or am I going to choose to be more like myself right now? What am I going to do in that moment? Being discipled in serving is actually following Jesus and him making you. It's you following in his footsteps. We know that Jesus served. We know that that's the example he left for us. And as we do that, he makes us. He modeled it. And if serving isn't below Jesus, who literally created the world, and he's, he's, he's washing the feet of people who are going to deny him, who are going to betray him, who are going to absolutely flake out on him, and feet that he made, genetics that he put into play, on earth that he breathed into existence, in a town that he designed the, the gravity 
and the composition of the air so that we would all breathe. If he can serve, then it's not below us, is it? If it's not below Jesus, it's not below us. As we come to a close, 24, 35, 55, 1. That's the amount of people that it takes for church to run each and every Sunday in our locations. 24 people at Redcliffe, 35 people at Murrayfield, 55 people at Warner, and one place for you. Now, we could totally put Redcliffe, like we, Hendrika would be beyond happy if he had 50 people to serve at Redcliffe. <laughs> Warner, we would be beyond happy if there was, and, and believe me, there are places, extra places to serve. We don't have some teams that we want because there aren't people to do it. There's teams that are yet to be created because there's not enough people sometimes to populate a team and we don't want to overstretch things. And so we have to make strategic and wise decisions. But if there were a hundred people who wanted to serve at Warner, believe you me, we'd find a place for a hundred people to serve every service. We absolutely would. One person, you on your own, you are a living stone. That's what the Bible tells us. But you are a living stone who has said yes to following Jesus in his example. 24, 35, 55, 1. So I encourage you this evening, pull the trigger. Shoot the silver bullet. Do the thing that is going to cause you to grow this year, that's going to cause you to be more obedient, that's going to cause your character to grow, that's going to cause you to be more like Jesus. If you're a young adult and you've got large capacity, which please believe me when I tell you, you absolutely have large capacity. Maybe you're serving in one area, but you can extend that to two. Maybe you're serving in youth on a Friday night, but you can do youth and you can do a service. Maybe you're serving in worship, but actually you could do something else here. Can you expand and extend if you're already serving? And if you're not serving, could you find your fit? Could you bring your unique gifts to the table? Could we find a place for you? There's a place in the spiritual house for you with your unique shape. It might take a few goes to find your place, and that's okay. There's a role in the holy priesthood for you. It comes with rough and smooth, and that's exactly as God designed it to be. There's a spiritual sacrifice acceptable for you to make And as you find your fit and you take your place and you follow Jesus, he will make you. He will do that for you this year. So as we go out in the foyer, there's booths for you to go and have a chat. There's creative, Sunday services, major events, missions, life groups, next steps, generations. All different areas. And if none of those, when you've gone and taken them to your fancy, you go to all of those and you're like, do you know what? I'm just a really weirdly shaped, unique stone. Well, tell us what kind of shape you are and let's see if we can't make a team. Let's see if we can't find a place. Let's see if we can't find a fit. Now, it may not be immediate, but let's work towards it together. So this evening, there's no keys. I know we feel like the Holy Spirit's not here because it's not like a soft, sweet, gentle ending. You're like, when is she ending? Like the keys aren't even, oh my gosh, it's going another 20 minutes. I'm not, we're literally finished. Because we don't need like the keys, beautiful as they are, Louise. We don't need that um, environment, that emotional part for you to pull the trigger on this. 
because you already know. The Holy Spirit's already been talking to you. So what I'd love you to do is I'd love you to stand up. I'm going to pray. We're going to finish our service, and then we're going to exit through the gift shop. We are going to go through our expo, and you're going to go and have a chat and talk, and you're going to see, and you're going to find your fit as the unique stone in this holy priesthood in the spiritual house as you give your spiritual sacrifice. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We just thank you for how good you are, that you would even choose us to play a part in your house. That, that thought alone is just boggling, that you would allow us to be part of what you're building on the earth. And so, Father, we pray that as we go out and as we talk and as we listen and as we maybe start the conversation about where our fit could be, that, Holy Spirit, you guide every conversation, that you bring conviction, Father, not condemnation, never condemnation, but, Holy Spirit, we listen to your conviction And we submit ourselves to what it is that you've been saying. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do our very best in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Go have a look.